you've got a new album. So I'd like to start by asking about that. Um, and it, it's been a real success, right, hasn't it? Brazil Frio. Yes. I'm thrilled, you know, that after so many decades in music that it would have this kind of response. But there was a, a lot of love and joy that I poured into there that people, I guess, are feeling. And it helps that those are big hits already that people love and are now hearing in a new way, plus a couple of new songs. But both questions could actually work together because the reason that I did Brazil 305 is because Brazilian music has been a huge influence throughout my life. Probably the beginning was my mom's record collection. And the, she was very eclectic. She was the diva of the family. To me, she was the star. She sang, she danced, she was the star of her school and all the productions, and actually won a contest to be Shirley Temple's double uh, back in the day in Hollywood. She was gonna go and dub her movies in Spanish and be her, her stand-in. So I was raised surrounded by music, musical genes on both sides of the family. And her record collection included all the big Cuban stars like Celia Cruz, Cachao, Olga Guillot of that day, and also Americans uh, like Nat King Cole, uh, Dean Martin, Andy Williams, Johnny Mathis, plus Brazilian greats like Carmen Miranda had been huge in Cuba. And my mom loved her movies and loved her personality. So she had her records. And then later on, she bought Jobim and the big Brazilian wave of the 60s. So I was surrounded by, by all these music, all this type of music. And then when I started listening to pop music in the United States, British Invasion was my first love. The Beatles' Ferry Cross the Mersey with Jerry and the Pacemakers made my hair stand on end and left the smell of laundromat forever in my mind because we were pulling up to the laundry with my mom. And I heard this song on the radio and I was like, blown away and stayed there listening so that's very tied to all of that and you know to be able to celebrate Brazil now is because of all that when I joined the band at 75 I asked them to learn Corcovado, Maishkinada, Chica de Ipanema so I could sing it. In 83 we did an album called Rio uh, where I wrote Spanish lyrics to big Brazilian hits of the day with uh, Rita Lee's Lanza Perfume, Wilson Simonal, one of the first rap tunes I ever heard, which was in the early 70s. So all of these things that you experience become a part of your own music. And to celebrate these rhythms in this way on this record was incredibly exciting. To re-sing, so not many artists get a chance to re-sing their, their old hits, unless it's live in concert, you know? Yeah, yeah. But to re-record them, is very a very unique experience, and especially we record them in uh, a, a whole new vibe. And Brazilian music to me has been one of my favorite uh, music to listen to and to be a part of my life. It's stuff I'll put on at home. I don't put on my own stuff. It's funny, but I, I just don't. But now you know, uh, it's been a thrill to be able to put this record and celebrate that music. Yeah, it, it sounds it sounds fantastic, and and uh, you know, were, were you expecting such such success? Because um, it's been seven years since it hasn't. Yeah, it? Oh. you know what? You never. I don't fall into that trap of ever expecting anything because you don't know. But I can tell you this: that I'm convinced that music will find its best moment. And this album was supposed to come out in 2017, but right when I went into was supposed to go into the studio that week to do my vocals. We'd already gone to Brazil, recorded the, you know, the album. And I had sung it for my mom at her kitchen table because she was so excited about the record. 
and she took ill that same week. And after 33 days, we lost her. So uh, it was impossible for me to sing. I tried a few months later to go in and do my bit, but I was grieving too hard, you know, the sadness. I didn't want that on the record because it all gets on there somehow. The feeling yeah. in the studio gets on the music. So I waited over a year before I was comfortable. I asked Sony to be patient. And I think that it came out in this post, in this COVID world, uh, where we're all experiencing such sadness, fear, you know, uncertainty worldwide. It was important for me to put some joy out in the music and try to balance the vibes that are out there prevalent right now. And I think for that reason, it, it received a different kind of welcome uh, one that, you know, with kind of deeper uh, need for happiness and yeah. try to get back to some joy. And, and music did that for me my whole life. So it's a privilege that somehow it's making people happy in this very difficult summer that we're living through that would usually be filled with holiday and dancing and people going to, you know, body to body in clubs and celebrating. And now you know, hopefully this will at least give them some good vibes while we're going through this. Well, yeah, I think it, I think it certainly is. And yeah, I mean, people are hungry for new music, you know, people are hungry to go, go to clubs and go to gigs, but obviously we've got to stay at home. So it's very good that you're not, you know, you, you didn't push back the release like, like some people feel like they have to, because it's quite... Yeah, well, we pushed it. We pushed it from the fall when it was supposed to come out. We pushed it to February, then in Florida, we started our crazy COVID run and we're still in the middle of it. We're in the thick of it. This is really, you know, tough in the state right now. So I postponed it then. And then George Floyd happened. And I certainly didn't want to diminish what was going on with the protest or, you know, start talking about music when this crazy thing was going down here. So I pushed it and it was going to come out June 13th, but that was literally the third anniversary of my mom's death. So, so I picked the day before to really, yeah, to release the single. And then August 13th, the album release. So that 13 is my lucky number. And my mom, I think, chose that as a day to go as a parting nod. Um, so it continues to be my lucky number. But yeah, we push. And then I said, enough. We need, we need music. And I chose that first single because it is all about joy, the smiling faces on those Brazilian people that we filmed all over, you know, in the three cities, Sao Paulo, Bahia, and Rio, and just such the celebratory nature. And when it's title, Cuando Hay Amor, means when there is love, which is truly what I think we need to get through the hardest times. Yeah, yeah, we, we definitely do. And uh, I mean, so go, going back to uh, Miami Sound Machine, um, there's that, there's that, um, absolutely just unbelievably great record dr b and uh yeah i love that record and and so are you did you ever hear the remix of it or i'm not sure what, yeah. yeah so with drop the pressure yeah 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 of course i did i remember watching the video and at the beginning he kisses my picture which i thought was so sweet he, he had like an eight by ten of my picture uh, who is the artist? It started with an M. Milo. Milo. Yes. Yeah. And he I was beyond thrilled. It was awesome to get that nod from Milo. Yeah. I mean, but because because I heard just Dr. Pressure, I think he had it was just a an electronic track, Drop the Pressure. 
but when it had Dr. B on, and uh, you know, that's that's kind of what what drew me into Miami Sound Machine, and what uh, incredible records. Um, I mean, you you made them thank as you well as, as well as you know your solo stuff. Thank and you so you much. Side note: I'm the one that did that siren in the song because I remember we were in the studio, and I said to everybody, you know. I really want to put a siren in the song. And the keyboard player couldn't figure out how to do it. And they went to lunch. And I said, do you mind if I play with your Moog? And he said, no, go ahead. And I'm the one that came up with the siren. Oh, it's genius. Using his Moog. So there you go. It, where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, that's that's a, a, a real genius um, part, of the, part of the tune and the production. And uh, it's, uh, you know, do, do, you, do you look back uh, on these records, you know, really fond, fondly making them? Is it good? Absolutely. Good we were so excited when we, we were signed to Disco's CBS International at the time. And our first two albums that we did on our own, we did half in English, half in Spanish. But then the songs that got, that became famous in Latin America were in Spanish. So when they came to sign us, after our, we put our third record, we got it on the radio and it was a Spanish ballad. They said, look, we'd really like you to record the bulk of the album in Spanish because our market down there is that. And, you know, we don't think it's, it, you know, bilingual is going to sell as well. And, and we said, absolutely, we can do it as long as we retain the right to record an English language album when we want and that we can incorporate some English language tunes into the production. So they go, yeah, like give them that. They, they didn't think it would ever happen. So they absolutely gave us that right. So then when we were gonna do the Spanish release, uh, it was a ballad called Luchare, Emilio and I asked him, hey, what do you think about putting this song Dr. Beat on the B side anyway? You know, you're not gonna release it. So why not put it? They go, okay, why not? They put it on the B side of the single. Then Emilio and I went to the studio, talked to this DJ in Puerto Rico and got him we said, we have no money, but we'll give you production points on the other side of this if you will do. He was a, a DJ at a gay club in Puerto Rico called Bachelors. And he did amazing things with our music that was already mixed. So we thought, imagine what he could do with the, just the tracks. So we went into the studio, we did a 12 inch. Emilio and I took it to all the record pools in Miami, one of which the top one was Bo Crane. He had ties to Europe. All of a sudden, we were in a rehearsal in, in, my, in our garage, like practicing. We had the radio on, the Y100, which was a, lo a local station, but that was national. And the song comes on the radio and we go, what? What happened? It turns out it had gone to number one in, in the Netherlands. It was top 10 in England. The Spanish language album that accompanied it was top 20. It was like, no, number 22 on the British charts. And it, because of that, it got airplay in the States. So we were freaking out going, how? Oh my God. And that's how it all started. And then when we went, so immediately Epic Records started calling to try to sign us because they thought we were a European production. And we said to them, we're signed to you on your international label already. <laughs> so then they took our contract over. And because we had all those great caveats already written in to our Spanish uh, um, contract, 
we were able to come into Epic with a fantastic opportunity to have creative control over our stuff, have a say in picking singles that wouldn't have happened to a brand new artist. So it was really very, you know, uh, we worked hard to get that to happen. So then we went yeah. to Europe to promote Dr. Beat and we were in Utrecht, Holland, doing a TV show. We played Dr. Beat, we played I Need a Man, the only two songs in English on that album. And they were, we want more, we want more. So Emilio had brought his accordion and he said, let's do these, these medley of congas from Cuba. I go, but they don't speak Spanish. I go, they don't speak. So what, they're Dutch. I, we played it and they went crazy. So standing in the alley at three in the morning with my drummer, I said, we need to write a song that talks about this rhythm that's in English that we can fuse the Afro-Cuban, but do it legit with a conga beat. And that we started writing the song on the way to England. And that was conga. So, you know, Huge. it's so amazing how these things are born. Yeah. And, and does, so were you kind of conscious of becoming, was it like a, a kind of pla a plan in an ideal world before Dr. Beat and stuff that you were going to become, you know, like a, a, a major like crossover success? Because I don't know how many crossover successes that yeah. have been since uh, before you. Well, it was a different thing because we were huge in Latin America. And then we'd come back to Miami and do a wedding for 200 people because they were playing our songs on the radio there, but not yet here. Everything happened kind of slowly. There was never a plan. We just wanted to express ourselves musically in every way there was. And my strongest language was English because I came here at two and a half years old. I mean, I speak perfect Spanish. My mother made sure that she had a PhD in education. So that was crucial. But I felt and wrote things in English a lot easier than I did in Spanish. And the plan was to always, like we did live in our gigs, to do both things. And it just grew slowly. Uh, thankfully, um, I got the opportunity to learn little by little in the good 10 years before we broke it big because I did not feel comfortable being the center of attention. But yeah, it was always in our plans to be able to record and, and perform in English as well. And it just, Everything happened slowly and evolved in the right way for us. But we worked very hard to keep very firm. And then, of course, when we did these songs, the record company is saying, take out the horns, take out the percussion. You know, you're too Latin for the Americans. You're too American for the Latins. You're never going to be able to compete on a worldwide level. And we would, I would ask the guy, why did you sign this? If this is how you feel, I go, I... We see our audiences. We know that they're going to be accepting of this music. We have a focus group. We play live gigs. We know yeah. that it's going to work. And it was just trying to pound away and get the things out of the way that were in the way of us trying to do what, what was our musical thing. We said, we want to be who we are. I don't want to be a success just trying to do what's already being done. That makes you two years late already because yeah. that's how long it would take to produce a record. So we stuck to our, you know, our plan and stayed true to our music, which is what made us stand out and made people notice. Yeah, it was it was hugely original. And so what um, your first solo record was let, let It Loose, wasn't it? Is that right? Where I where I went out with the without Miami Submachine name. By the way, I didn't want to do this. Emilio, my husband, it was his band. I joined his band. We weren't dating yet. He was my boss for a year. I joined Miami Latin Boys. 
when we went to do our first album, we decided, okay, we got to change the name because now it's not just boys. So that's where the record company came up with Miami Sound Machine, which I didn't really love because we were very organic. And I thought that made it sound like a production or something weird, that machine part. Yeah. But it was a very lucky name. So then as we started becoming well known and we came out with Primitive Love, no, I think Let It Loose was still Miami Sound Machine. It wasn't until Cuts Both Ways that Emilio decided not to use that name anymore. And when he, when he said he wanted to add my name to the group, I said, but why? We're super successful with this. I'm perfectly happy. I don't need my name on the thing. And he goes, yeah, well, Placido Domingo just called that he wants you to sing on this Goya album with him. What are we going to put? Placido Domingo sings with the girl from Miami Sound Machine. He goes, you are our front man. You are the focus. I want people to know your name. So he added my name first. And then when he stopped performing in the band, because he was the last original member from like that I joined the band in 75, he said, we're going with your name. We don't, Miami Sound Machine is still going to perform with you, but he owned the name. So it wasn't that I was putting anybody off by excluding the, the name from the record. It was really my husband's band's name. And he wanted me to be the focus. So it was his idea. And the first record that came out like that was, I think, Cuts Both Ways. All right, okay. And, yeah. 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 Let It Loose was yeah. like... Was Let It Loose was still Miami Sound Machine. I don't remember if they added my name by then. I think I, I think remember. it was actually, uh, comes to, but I think it was marketed with both. I think it was yeah. like Gloria Estefan and then Miami Sound Machine. Yeah. But then from, so from Cuts Both Ways, it was, um, that, that was when you kind of started solo. So, so you were, you were almost like a reluctant solo breakaway rather than totally have your own career. I was happy being part of the, you know, I was happy. I didn't need my name out there. I thought we were, you know, we were having a lot of success. And he goes, this is all great. But in the long run, because Emilio's, he's brilliant commercial mind. He said, in the long run, people need to know you. And as long as you're just the singer from the band, they're, they're not going to, you know, so I want them to know you. It was his choice. So was it, was it daunting to, at that point to, to kind of, you know, start, almost start from scratch. I mean, I guess you weren't starting from scratch because yeah. you had all of that success behind you, but... Um, yeah, you no, you know what? Every, every tough, every decision you make has a period where you are sorting things out. Just like, for example, we came out with uh, Conga that became a huge hit all over the world. The record company wanted us to do another Conga type of song. And we said, no, we absolutely, we, have, we want Bad Boy to be the single, which was the shuffle that had nothing to do with Latin music. And they go, but this is what people aren't going to recognize. And I go, we want this. This is who we are. They need to, even though in the short run, it's a risk. In the long run, it's going to give us a lot more opportunity to really be who we are. Then after it was a success. Then I go, okay, we want to put out words, get in the way, the ballad. They go, no, absolutely not. You know, you're known as a dance group. I go, Exactly. And I'm a ballad writer and singer. This is my forte. We need them to know. They might not recognize me right away, but then it's just going to open up every avenue for us. Thankfully, we had the right to do so. Because if we would have been a band that they had just signed, we would have had to go with what they decided. And thankfully, we were able to stick to our own ideas. And it did. It freed us up to be able to be everything that we are and it was important. So yeah, everything, every decision you make might have a tough short 
time where you lose some people or somebody gets confused momentarily, but then ultimately you just keep doing your thing and it just frees you up. It was important for me to be able to do all those types of music. Yeah. And you stay, you know, you were um, from, from, you know, late eighties um, through the nineties and, and really to the present day, you've stayed pretty prolific, you know, making a lot, a lot of, of great records. I mean, only, uh, only recently, you know, I guess you've taken the time more. I mean, is that, is that just because, you know, you've made a lot of records and, and, you know, the, I guess the business is less, it, it's less conducive with streaming to, to putting out records regularly just because of how different the industry is. Look, an artist is going to put out music, I think, when they feel that they have something to share. So, yeah. When you have a record contract, which, you know, I do it completely differently now, the business is, and I like the way it is really now, except for the fact that you don't get compensated as a writer and a, and a singer because there are not yet laws protecting this uh, technology, but it'll happen eventually. No, it's just, look, it's a natural progression in life to slow things down, number one. Number two, I had come out with the standards record. It wasn't supposed to be this long. It's just because of everything that happened with my mom okay. oh, yeah. that it got delayed. You, but you have to have an idea and ex be excited about a project. Before, when you have a, a record contract, you have to put out a record every couple of years. And it's also smart to do so too because you don't want to lose momentum. For example, at that moment in the 80s, when we were really like all over the world, if I would have taken three, four years to put out a record, people forget, you know, that's just how it is. But coincidentally, we were very excited about all the music that we were going to put out. In fact, at the peak of my fame, we just, on the pop side, we decided to put out an all Spanish language album called Mi Tierra that was really roots oriented. They thought we were crazy. Fortunately, we had somebody, Tommy Matola, was very supportive because he's a music guy. So he was very supportive of us doing that. And I have a worldwide career in two languages. I had to constantly be balancing between one market and the other. I put out Mi Tierra, then immediately I put out Abriendo Puertas as a Christmas record in Spanish. Then I came back with a different record. So everything I've done every step of the way has been music that has been exciting and an exploration and an evolution for me as an artist or else, why, what is the point of just cranking out songs and music just to make a living to me is a travesty and I would never do something yeah. like that. And, you know, music is also for young people. New stuff has to come up. They have to put out their musical offerings and fuse because really there's nothing you can invent. It's all about either fusing a style or choosing a style to really be in. So I've just been so blessed to be able to explore everything that has excited me about music and still be me. Cause I'm not just going to go, I'm not going to do an urban record, for example, now, because it's just not me. Not that I don't appreciate that music. I do. And there's a lot of really cool things being done. Look, I love this artist Rosalia from Spain who is bringing her, you know, like flamenco sensitivity and the Spanish influence into the urban style. It's modern. It's edgy. She made a little appearance now in that new WAP video with, uh, with the girls that are all in there. Um, but she, that is exciting for me, like to hear her take on Urban. But it's not me. I, I, 
it's not something I did. We used Pitbull years ago in one of our uh, No Me Dejes De Querer on the Alma Caribeña album because I thought it was a really a cool blend at that time. He still wasn't the, the worldwide Pitbull, but I recognized what was coming from him and it was exciting for me. But, you know, I'm always going to be somehow in my lane. Everything that I've done has something to do with music that has been very real to me. Yeah, and your identity. And, and it's interesting that, that you, you know, took that, took that um, you, you were pretty forthright and, and said you wanted to do Mi Tierra when you did, because that, then that turned out to be, you know, one of your best loved albums. Yes, indeed. Really because people wanted to know. They, they, they knew that it was from the heart. That project, we spent five years on that because it was in the middle of me producing and recording the English language albums and touring the world. I was on a world tour and it was a two year tour because we were so fortunate to have a worldwide audience. So we had a concept for it to create it so that it would sound like if it was the 1940s in Cuba when music was prolific and, and very sensual and everything was double entendre. I sang these songs from the 40s from my grandmother and my mother so I knew how songs were structured, what kind of instrumentation to use. And we had the greats of Cuban music playing on that album. You know, Cachao, Paquito Echevarria, Paquito de Rivera, eh, Arturo Sandoval, Sheila E was on that record. It was like a celebration of these greats of Cuban music and making original songs that sounded like something before. And then they did, then Ray, Ray Cooter did uh, Buena Vista, which came after Mi Tierra. And these were the songs that kind of were the inspiration for us, for Mi Tierra. And they had a huge success worldwide with the original guys that did it in Cuba that were shining shoes because they couldn't make a living making music, you know? And it kind of, Ray Cooter came in, a German, and saved them and took them on tours all over the world to play their music again. It was really a beautiful thing that was done there. So it was very exciting for me, Mi Tierra. Yeah, I mean it's a wonderful album. And so, so looking back um, at, at all of all of your music, um, I'm, I'm enjoying ask, asking artists at the moment. You know, is there a song, and it can be a, an unknown song, that that you're particularly fond of? I mean, very difficult question. Of my songs or someone else's songs? Your, your songs. Your songs. One of my own. Okay. Uh, there's a song that I wrote that I did live. It was I don't remember even what record it was on. But it's kind of like uh, how I would like to be remembered. It's called Remember Me With Love. And when people ask me, I, I go, that song kind of, even though it could be about a relationship, it's also when I wrote it, I was thinking about my fans worldwide and what it might be one day when you're not around because we've had the opportunity to leave something behind for our children, for my grandson now. And... Uh, he loves to discover my old stuff. And one of his favorite songs also is See Your Smile, something that I wouldn't think that would touch him. But I guess maybe because he saw it as a three-year-old on stage on our musical, somehow it did something to him. So these songs, and particularly Remember Me With Love, is kind of like the way I'd like to be remembered. <laughs> 